MSW Media. Hi, everyone. Today's episode of The Daily Beans is brought to you by my favorite daily nutritional drink, Athletic Greens. Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And we thank them for their support. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Thursday, March 17th, 2022. Today, Biden identifies 50 Russian elites as targets in a global hunt to seize assets after Zelensky addresses a joint session of Congress. A judge orders the Department of Justice to produce documents in the Steve Bannon contempt case. The January 6th committee obtains the Proud Boys documentary crew footage. And the Department of Justice charges five people for targeting U.S. residents critical of Beijing. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hey, Dana. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Happy St. Patrick's Day to you. I am sleepy. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. I don't know if the listeners, if you're listening to this and you're like me too, maybe it's just the way things are right now. But, oh, you know what? I realized I didn't have any coffee today either. Well, that'll do it. Maybe that's part of it. I'm not, but I'm not that person that can't function without it. Anyway, we've got stuff to talk about. Not my caffeine intake habits. Let's keep it moving. (laughs) No, but you know, I did have coffee and I'm kind of sleepy, so... But, you know, Congress is totally willing to pass daylight savings, so, you know, per sunshine protection, yes. but not voter protection. Correct. So, what, yeah, okay. You know, I can't even say baby steps about that. <laughs> I know. No, no, we don't need so baby steps. We need a big ass step toward voter rights. Yes, please. And also today in the show, I'm going to be talking with Hugo Lowell from The Guardian with an exclusive. He's got breaking news that is just coming out uh, as you're listening to this. So that's pretty cool. We'll talk to him in a little bit. It has to do, it's coup news. So I love coup news. Yeah, it's very interesting. Let's get to the rest of all that stuff that I talked about at the top of the show and hit the hot notes. Hot notes. First up, President Volodymyr Zelensky addressed a joint session of Congress this morning, invoking Pearl Harbor 9-11 in another call for the U.S. to lead NATO in closing the sky over Ukraine and said that Biden should be the world leader to promote peace. Now, however the U.S. decides to respond, I imagine they aren't going to telegraph it. That might be what happened with those MiG-29s that Poland promised Mm -hmm. and our Department of Defense said no go. There was so much media coverage about it that it probably couldn't get done stealthily, right, without Russia knowing that that's what the plan was and and sabotaging it, right? Uh, So we we, we aren't sure what what's going to go on behind the scenes. But what we do know is Biden is sending another $800 million in aid to Ukraine and called Putin a war criminal during a walking presser today. And within a few hours of that really amazing address to Congress, which got a standing ovation that I don't know if you saw the video of of Marjorie. I did, except Marjorie Taylor Greene looking for her phone, asshole. Yeah, yeah, she's and, and John Kennedy was just like, I don't know, playing Candy Crush or some shit. That's probably too difficult to game for him. I'm probably giving him too much credit. But yeah. anyway, within a few hours of that into amazing speech to Congress, Biden and the U.S. Treasury gave a new international body a list of 50 Russian elites that the United States views as its top priorities for enacting new sanctions 
as global law enforcement steps up its hunt for the assets of oligarchs tied to the Kremlin. Treasury officials provided the list of Russian elites. It's called, here's the new, this is the new organization. It's called Russian Elites, Proxies, and Oligarchs. Operation Repo. That's the hilarious. Repo Task well Force. done. Well done. And this is a new multinational body involving the United States, more than half a dozen other allied nations for, for the group's first meeting. And that that's the Treasury officials handed over this list. The task force will pool the resources of the country's law enforcement divisions to track down the assets of Russian oligarchs stashed overseas. A difficult task complicated by the opaque or complicated financial instruments frequently used by Russian financial elites and Trump to hide their holdings from public view. Treasury publicity released 28 of the 50 names on the list. I have the list. Ooh, ladies and gentlemen. And there are some familiar names on here. Um, Alexander Babakov and Bortnikov, those two Alexanders. Oleg Deripaska is on this list. So is Kirill Dmitriev. He made a lot of uh, appearances in the Mueller report. Valerie Garasimov, Karamov, Kostin, Kotslyakov, Kovalichuk, Sergei Lavrov's on here. Alexei Miller is on here. Miller, interesting Russian name. Indeed. Petrushev, Dmitry Peskov, who, as we know, is the spokesperson for the Kremlin. Yevgeny Prigozhin is on here. Putin's chef. Vladimir Putin is on here. The Rotenbergs, Igor Sechin, Shamilov, Shoigu, Skok, Timchenko, and uh, there's uh, Victor Vexelberg, who a lot of people will recognize. He, he's got caught donating a bunch of money, funneling Russian money into uh, Republican hands in 20, 2016. So Treasury officials declined to share the other 22 names. And one person familiar with the matter said administration officials typically do not want the names of other sanctioned oligarchs to be known ahead of time because it could help them evade penalties, hide their boats, you know? <laughs> yeah, hide the boats. Now, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen and Attorney General Merrick Garland joined a virtual meeting of the new International Repo Task Force on Wednesday morning. The multinational task force includes representatives from the United States, Australia, Canada, Germany, France, Italy, Japan, the UK, and the European Commission. So love it. Cool. You get all of them. Get all of them. Every single one of them. Take all their shit and then sell it and donate the money back to Ukraine. Okay. Yeah. Or make them like if they're like mansions and hotels and yachts, like house refugees on them. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Now, you just mentioned, speaking to Merrick Garland, federal prosecutors in Brooklyn have charged five people with acting on behalf of the Chinese secret police to spy on and harass U.S. residents critical of Beijing. And this is from officials. We heard this Wednesday. The defendants were charged in three separate cases brought by the U.S. attorney for the Eastern District of New York as part of the Justice Department's new strategy to counter nation state threats. Now, a major focus of the strategy is fighting transnational repression by authoritarian governments. So it's launched last month that coincided with the shutting down of a program known as the China Initiative, following controversy fueled by what officials said was a misperception that the department was targeting ethnic Chinese for prosecution. Now, the department, the Justice Department officials stressed that prosecutors remain committed to cracking down on crimes such as espionage and cyber attacks, especially those directed by or benefiting foreign governments. So five defendants are accused of aiding the Chinese government's efforts to harass, stalk, and surveil Chinese nationals living in Queens and elsewhere in the United States. So there are several cases. In one case, a defendant allegedly tried to derail the candidacy of U.S. military veteran running for Congress, who had been a student leader at the 1989 pro-democracy demonstration in Beijing's Tiananmen Square, that, that whole thing. 
Yeah, so that's one person. Now, in another case, the defendants are accused of crimes, including planning to destroy the artwork of a Chinese national living in Los Angeles, who's criticized the Chinese government. There's the third case. This is a former Chinese scholar who helped start a uh, pro-democracy organization in Queens, is charged with using his position within New York City's Chinese community to collect information about prominent activists dissidents, and human rights leaders, and provide it to the Chinese Ministry of State Security, the MSS. And that's a civilian intelligence and secret police agency responsible for political security. Now, the U.S. Attorney of the Eastern District up there, Beyond Peace, said that complaints unsealed Wednesday, quote, reveal the outrageous and dangerous lengths to which the Chinese secret police have gone to, quote, silence, harass, discredit, and spy on U.S. residents. These are U.S. residents for simply exercising their freedom of speech. Now, three defendants were arrested and were scheduled to appear in court in Brooklyn on Wednesday. The other two still remain at large. So really interesting cases there. Yeah, and DOJ had a press conference about it today as well. So yeah, very interesting. And a federal judge has ordered the Justice Department to produce internal records related to its decision to prosecute Steve Bannon. This is a win for Bannon, who maintains that he has a sound legal basis for refusing to comply with a subpoena from the House's January 6th Select Committee. U.S. District Court Judge Carl Nichols said Bannon's team should be provided with Justice Department statements or writings that square the decision to charge Bannon with contempt of Congress with longstanding department legal opinions that say former presidential advisors are largely immune from congressional subpoenas. And guess what? It's an OLC memo, Dana. Oh, Yeah, prosecutors had argued during a two-hour hearing that the Justice Department's legal guidance, reflected in opinions issued by the OLC, were not relevant to whether Bannon actually committed the contempt of Congress crimes he's charged with. But Bannon's lawyers have emphasized that they advised him repeatedly not to comply with the congressional subpoena because the department's policy rendered the subpoena invalid. Nichols raised a hypothetical scenario in which Congress subpoenaed Ron Klain, the chief of staff to President Joe Biden. Klain, he said, could refuse to appear, citing a published OLC opinion that says senior presidential advisors are absolutely immune from compelled congressional testimony. But under the Justice Department's argument, in the Bannon case, he noted, Klain could be prosecuted anyway, creating a conflict between the department's internal policies and its prosecution decisions. Now, I just want to remind Judge Nichols in this hypothetical that Ron Klain is actually a fucking employee of the government. (laughs) Quote, these two positions would be held at the same time, said Nichols, who was an appointee of President Donald Trump. The documents the Justice Department provides could shed light on how it tried to square that inherent conflict or whether it has issued subsequent non-public legal guidance that would permit prosecuting Bannon for defying the select committee. And my argument, were I the Department of Justice, would be he's not a fucking government employee. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a pretty good argument. And that that means anybody who speaks to the president could be considered a, a, an advisor and not subject to sub- whatever. In other committee news, we previously reported, as you know, the committee subpoenaed Salesforce, which is a vendor of the RNC, Republican National Committee, to look into whether the Republicans were defrauding donors by fundraising off of the big lie. Yes, they were. Salesforce said they'd hand over everything by today if a court didn't intervene. But the Department of Justice actually reached a deal with the RNC. I don't know why they did this, but they did. Probably a due process situation. And they said we'd be willing to wait two weeks to give a federal judge a chance to weigh in. So that's where we are with that. Now, all this delay and obstruction by Republicans unwilling to hand over their shit has led Benny Thompson to tell Hugo Lowell that the hearings, the public hearings that were supposed to start in April, will now likely be pushed to May. 
but have faith. The committee is well aware of their time constraints. We still have plenty of time before the August recess. And I trust me, they know the importance of getting this done and getting it done right. So. All right, AG. And then we have one last bit of news from that committee. They have obtained footage from that documentary we mentioned yesterday from a documentary film company that captured crucial moments during the run-up to the assault on the Capitol, including snippets of an encounter between leaders of the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers. Now, the documentary company, Goldcrest Films International, they obtained key footage while filming outside the Capitol on January 6th and following members of the mob inside. Now, most notably, the crew was present during a 30-minute meeting between Proud Boys national leader Enrique Tarrio and Oath Keepers founder Stuart Rhodes, an exchange that has become of interest to federal prosecutors. Now, Rhodes has been charged with seditious conspiracy for his role on January 6th, while Tarrio is facing felony obstruction charges. A source familiar with the Goldcrest footage indicated that the select committee has begun reviewing it as part of its investigation into the factors that caused the insurrection. So Goldcrest documentarians have described in previous news reports being given unusually broad access to Tario and other members of the Proud Boys. So the company has already been cited in recent the Justice Department's filings and those specifically related to the prosecution of several members of the January 6th mob. The footage has helped FBI investigators identify some of those who have been charged with breaching the Capitol. So the select committee has divided its expansive probe into five distinct teams examining all aspects of January 6th attack, from the former President Trump's effort to overturn the election to organizers of January 6th rally that preceded the attack on the Capitol. One of those teams is focused on the role of domestic extremism, and that's including groups like the Oath Keepers and Proud Boys. Now, both Tario and Rhodes testified the select committee in recent weeks, but largely pleaded the fifth because they are guilty as fuck. One person... <laughs> Allegedly. One person who was reportedly present during Tario Rhodes' encounter, first revealed by Reuters, okay, was freelance photographer Amy Harris. Now, Harris has had her phone records subpoenaed by January 6th panel, and she actually sued to block that demand. So they wanted her phone records, and she said no. So that's gotten her tangled back up in this web, which is a beautiful thing. So we'll see what happens with that footage. Yeah, and I want to point out that This is the first time, actually the second time that I'm aware of where the committee has gotten stuff after the Department of Justice got it. And that doesn't mean it's the only two times. It's this time that the documentary crew footage, because, you know, we reported a couple of days ago that the Department of Justice in the Enrique Tarrio indictment and in the filing for the motion to, you know, detain him pending trial. Right. That that the that the FBI, that the DOJ had that footage. The other thing was that when we found out uh, a while ago, months ago, that the DOJ in D.C. was investigating Sidney Powell and then the committee was subpoenaing the records. So these are going on in parallel. And I wouldn't be surprised if there are more situations where the January 6th committee has been requesting stuff that the Department of Justice already has. Absolutely. And it would make sense that the committee could just get it from the Department of Justice rather than having to subpoena all these folks. And so that's where I think maybe they got, that's how they got the documentary film footage. Yeah. But we'll see what we, you know, we will find out at some point. Of course, which is great. We're getting closer to that moment too. Yeah, I think we are. All right. After this break, we have an exclusive with Hugo Lowell breaking some coup news for the guardian. You don't want to miss it. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. 
Hey, everybody, it's AG for The Beans. Our sponsor today is Athletic Greens. They're a health and wellness company specializing in daily nutrition. As you know, we live in a world that is packed full of many demands on our time, making it difficult to maintain healthy eating habits. As you know, I have a very busy schedule. I also intermittently fast, and I am paleo, so I have a lot of gaps in my nutrition. But luckily, Athletic Greens is here to help. A single serving of AG1 contains multivitamins, multiminerals, a probiotic, a green superfood blend, 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food ingredients. Everything all in one product. So convenient, so easy. Easy habit to pick up and a wonderful one as well. Taking AG1 in the morning keeps me focused and productive. I, I have it right before I go to the gym. They have bioavailable ingredients, and it is a great alternative to those multiple pills and supplements. I used to have just a cabinet full of 20 different bottles of vitamins and supplements and superfoods, and, and, and now it's just all in one. Very convenient. And it's compatible with lifestyles like keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, and gluten-free. In addition to having less than one gram of sugar, AG1 is GMO-free. It is chemical-free, and it is artificial ingredient-free. Not to mention, it tastes amazing. And what I love the most is Athletic Greens keeps up with current research. In the past decade, AG1 has undergone 53 improvements based on the latest science and research. Most supplements hit the market and they don't change for decades, but not AG1. They keep up. And I highly recommend AG1 to support your daily nutrition. And to make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you an immune-supporting free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase when you visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans today. Again, simply visit athleticgreens.com slash dailybeans to take control of your health and give AG1 a try. Everybody, welcome back. I am here with congressional reporter for The Guardian, Hugo Lowell, who has some news for us. Hugo, how are you? I'm good. I'm, I'm recovering from uh, coming back from uh, Philly uh, when the House Dem Issues Conference uh, it took place. And, and so I'm slowly getting back into things, but uh, back into things with uh, some news and news. Yeah. Tell us all about what you found out. Yeah, so one of the one of the lingering mysteries, and there are many mysteries uh, about January six and and how how the Capitol attack and and Trump's plans to over, overturn the election came to be was this report about Dominion voting systems. Uh, we in a in a we know in a publicly available version of this that the author was supposedly the uh, the volunteer uh, legal advisor on on Trump's kind of external advise, advisory team. It was Catherine uh, Fries was, was the name that was published on the front, on the, on the cover page of this Dominion voting report. It turns out actually that the author is in fact a senior White House staffer, uh, Joanna Miller, who worked for uh, Navarro's office in the Office of Trade and Manufacturing Policy. And this is significant, of course, because we, we knew for some time that it was, it, was a, it was a staffer for Navarro, but the fact that it was a senior policy aide in the White House uh, who was putting together this report um, about conspiracy theories and all sorts of election uh, claim, uh, election fraud claims? Um, basically, means that one of the earliest sources of allegations about election fraud came from within the White House, um, and it kind of raises the prospect that Trump was kept abreast of this. Certainly, Navarro knew about this, and it all it all it was the original sin, as it were. Uh, of all the other election fraud conspiracies that came in the weeks after the election. So this was produced sometime toward the end of November. Uh, it was disseminated to Rudy Giuliani and his team, and then to Navarro and his team. And a lot of the research inside the Dominion report ended up in Navarro's three-part report that he called the Immaculate Deception. So the original, the original source for a lot of these conspiracies was, in fact, the White House, which I think is, which is, which is just extraordinary situation. 
Wow. Yeah. And and when was it that Rudy pushed back on Donald having the Department of Justice seize voting machines because they weren't foreign? There weren't foreign invasion problems with them. Do you remember that there was some sort of meeting where where Trump wanted the Department of Justice to seize voting machines? Yeah, uh, we did a lot of extensive reporting on that meeting. It was a December 18 meeting uh, late on a Friday night. Um, it had already gone dark outside in the White House, uh, outside the White House, and there was this crazy meeting with Trump uh, and originally Patrick Byrne, the former CEO of Overstock, uh, Mike Flynn, Sidney Powell, and eventually Giuliani got brought in along with uh, the White House counsels, and it turned into this really contentious meeting where Trump, well, at least we reported that Trump reviewed the draft executive order that would have allowed a, of course, Sidney Powell to become special counsel, and B. Uh, to seize voting machines either through the DHS or, or the National Guard or the U.S. Marshal Service. The timing is interesting. So the version that I've seen, the, the I, th- I believe it's the earliest version with Joanna Miller's name on the front of it, and it also says Peter Navarro team report, was 29th of November. Hmm. By the time the report becomes public and is published on the Gateway Pundit on the 2nd of December, all traces of the White House's involvement have been scrubbed. And it's not clear why this was the case. And it was not clear why Catherine Fries's name got stuck on the front of this, uh, even though she had no role in creating it. And she has said so uh, herself. And Bernie Carrick has conceded since that Catherine Fries was not the original author of the document, but refused to say who. And so it, to me, it screams of everyone knew ooh, it would be problematic if it turned out the White House was the original source for all these election conspiracy claims and then decided to, to shift the focus away from the administration itself. But the other interesting thing that came out of all of this was Navarro's aides were all over uh, both the original Dominion report and Navarro's eventual three-part report. And one of the names that comes up is Garrett Ziegler, who was this policy mm-hmm. aide who helped facilitate that very December 18 meeting. And so the more and more I look at the lead up to Jan 6 and the lead up to Trump trying to convince Pence to throw the election, the key players are really in Navarro's office, which is really interesting. And the other thing that Ziegler says is that he started work on these reports before the election had even taken place. Yeah. And and I'm sure you can understand why I asked about that meeting, because, you know, this Dominion report did have allegations in it of foreign interference, did it not? Yeah. And and this is kind of where we triangulate, right? So Garrett Ziegler, who helped, who, who who I understand helped Joanna Miller create the Dominion report and certainly has admitted to helping create the Peter Navarro's uh, three-part immaculate deception report, and then was also involved in setting up or orchestrating the December 18 meeting. He was, at every step, not only was he involved, but the central claim they were pushing was allegations of foreign interference, specifically Venezuela, China, Iran in the election, because this would have allowed mm-hmm. Trump to invoke uh, Executive Order 13848, which was the basis of which you know, Powell was trying to become special counsel. And basically, it gave Trump extraordinary sweeping presidential powers uh, to suspend normal law and for him to do all sorts of things, including you know, things like seizing voting machines and um, declaring emergency, emergency powers. Uh, and so we kind of triangulate back onto this executive order that could only have been possible if there were allegations of foreign interference. Then, well, where do the foreign interference claims come from? The White House. 
Yeah. And that's that's why I'm very that's why I asked that question, because, I mean, was this report commissioned or was it just sort of voluntarily handed over? Like was was Rudy like, hey, we need some foreign interference stuff. Powell, Navarro, go make it real. That's really, really interesting. And uh, do you know if Joanna Miller has testified to the January 6th committee? Uh, I don't believe she has. But of course, Catherine Frias has been subpoenaed by the committee. And I expect Catherine Frias would probably have talked about the fact that she was effectively made the scapegoat for a report that now no one has since wanted to take credit for, in part because it was it's kind of problematic in that respect. So I'm sure it's on the committee's radar. But I, I did think this was a, a significant development. And my final question, do we know if Department of Justice has any of this information? They will when the story comes out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yes, uh, good, good point. Wow, that is really, really huge news now that we know that these early on November allegations of, of voter machine, you know, foreign interference are coming from the calls coming from inside the House. That's very big. So congratulations on this scoop. Is there anything else in the story that you want to tell us about? Uh, no, I mean, look, I think there's a pattern. The only other thing I mentioned is there's a pattern on the White House being involved in a lot of these conspiracies, right? So now we know that Joanna Miller and Navarro's office was involved in drumming up the original claims of election fraud. And then, of course, don't forget that the committee has revealed uh, last year that the White House Communications Agency was involved in drafting the letter for Jeffrey Clark at the DOJ to center states to say, look, the Justice Department thinks there's credible claims of election interference, so you should decertify your uh, slates of electors. And so at every step of the way, the Trump White House has been involved in this, right? And it's very easy for these aides to say, oh, you know, we were all, uh, you know, let's let's say for the sake of argument that they were all working uh, in a personal capacity or that they're arguing, but it is ridiculous and extraordinary that all of this was emanating directly from the White House. And I don't for a minute think Trump wasn't kept abreast of those developments. Yeah, we said the same thing about the Trump Tower meeting in June of 2016. There's no way he didn't know about yeah. it. And uh, we were unable to prove that he did because of the way he handles business, you know, wink and a nod and no emails. And But, you know, this has a lot more people who potentially could go to prison or get in trouble. So all of them would have to stand up to this or not answer questions or plead the fifth or whatever. So we'll see what happens. But excellent reporting. And then just also, I think that you had mentioned, I saw on your, on your Twitter feed, you had spoken to someone in the committee about the time frame of the public hearings. What's the update on that? Yeah. So I caught up with uh, the chairman of the committee, Benny Thompson, uh, today. And the, the situation is hearings are now likely to come in May. The original timeline for all of this was they wanted to wrap up depositions by April 1st and then schedule kind of public hearings towards the end of the month. That's now slipped. That would be optimistic schedule. But now, I guess, um, because depositions are continuing, they're trying to, you know, they are trying to get more and more information. They want to have as complete a picture of, you know, the events leading up to January 6th before they get into the public hearings. And so this is kind of why they are moving in the way that they are. But uh, the time timeline has been delayed again. Um, not without good reason, but it has been delayed. Yeah. I mean, that's how investigations go. You uncover new things. You have to follow those leads to the end. And so, yeah, we'll see what happens. But thank you so much. Everybody check out The Guardian, Hugo Lowell, and your timeline on Twitter. I'm assuming your your story's out there and that's where it can be found. That's right. That's, uh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, great. Everybody stick around. We'll be right back with the good news. 
Hey friends, it's AG for The Beans, and today it's brought to you by Helix Sleep. Sleep is vital to our health. The worst part of insomnia is waking up exhausted and drowsy or waking up sore. For years, I struggled with sleep. I have, you know, anxiety, PTS, tossing and turning, and that's what I thought was causing it. But actually, it turns out I was sleeping on a mattress made for someone else. But now I can sleep like a baby thanks to Helix Sleep. No matter what sleep style your body demands or what your body type is, Helix has the mattress for you. You can find your ideal mattress with Helix's quick online quiz at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. They have wide range of mattresses from soft to firm, body temperature regulating mattresses, spinal alignment mattresses. They even have a Helix Plus mattress for plus size sleepers. I was matched with the Helix Midnight because I am a side sleeper and I like a medium firm mattress. So it's perfect for me. And now thanks to Helix, I fall asleep fast. I stay asleep all night. That's the important part. I don't toss and turn. And that means I wake up feeling refreshed and alert and I'm not sore. I'm ready to take on the day. As you know, Helix has over 12,000 five-star reviews. They were awarded number one best overall mattress pick in 2019 and again in 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. And leading chiropractors and doctors of sleep medicine recommend Helix to improve sleep. There's a 10-year warranty with the Helix mattresses, and you get to try them out for 100 nights risk-free. And if you don't like it, they'll pick it up and give you a full refund. So there's no risk. They even have financing options and flexible payment plans. So a great night's sleep is never far away. And right now, Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for listeners at helixsleep.com slash dailybeans. That's helix, H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash dailybeans for up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Well, we'll blow on good news is on the way. And if you have any good news or corrections or you want to play What the Mutt, if you have a rescue pupper and you, you want us to see if we could guess what breeds are in there, we'd love to play that game. If you have a whoopee story or if you're creating something, if you're an artist or you make something, you're a maker. We have a small business. You can let us know. We'll give you a shout out. And of course, Halloween pictures, Easter's coming up, Easter bunny photos. Love those. So you send them in at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. And we have kind of a correction here. First up, Dana. Yes. From Brit. Pronouns they, them. Quick correction. My pronouns are they, them, Brit says. And then we have a note here from our producer. I am so sorry. That must have felt like nails on a chalkboard to hear. That was my typo. Love, Kanai. Thank you, Kanai, for owning that. But we are terribly sorry. Obviously, we we had no idea. And moving forward, we will make sure that they, them is always how you are referred to. 100%. And Britt continues, those yellow cabinets from my previous submission were all hand-stripped, sanded, and repainted by yours truly. After we bought our house, the cabinets are original to the house from 1939. Nice. And yes, that child, aka Elf on the Shelf Kid, is always up to something. He is the textbook definition of a handsome devil. You can tell there's a little comedian there. <laughs> totally. Absolutely. All right, my friend, you want to take that? Let me take the next one. Yeah, go ahead. Take all right, here one. we go. This is from John in SoCal, pronouncing him. Thanks for the hard work you all do. I need to offer a contrary opinion on daylight savings time. I knew this was coming. I'm in a small group of people who we would be exceedingly disappointed if the clocks do not go back an hour in the fall. My friends and I meet at the beach every morning before sunrise to surf before work, a.k.a. Dawn Patrol. With the days getting so short, Dawn Patrol is really only possible in the winter with the clocks going back in the fall. I know my situation is unique, but please count me among those who would like to continue moving the clock back and forth an hour as we always have. Hashtag surfers for time change. <laughs> yeah, and I think also if we did standard time, I think you might still get that hour if instead of landing on DST. 
But thank you, John. And I appreciate that. I used to get up and go surfing before work. So I feel you. Next up from Josh T. Pronouns he and him. As always, love the show. Love the perspective you bring to my world. During the Sunshine Protection Act segment, AG commented on the Y2K scam companies. Most people assume that all the fear and hype around the Y2K bug was just that fear and hype because when January 1, 2000 rolled around, nothing happened. But the truth of the matter is it took an enormous undertaking by technical professionals to change code bases far and wide so that it looked like a nothing burger. See? Now time rules are automated and remotely changed, so no such lift needed for any DST update. Fun fact, there's a second Y2K coming in 2038 due to the fact that many computer systems measure time in seconds since January 1st, 1970, and that number becomes too large for how it's stored on January 19th, 2038, the day before my birthday. Programmers are still debating the best way to fix that one. We've got a lot more time to figure it out. You are the highlight of my mornings. Thank you so much for all you do. Attach to some pet tax. I haven't dumped to Facebook or the Discord. <laughs> Enjoy the serenity that is Wyatt. Enjoying a moment of peace. Oh, Wyatt, sweet baby. <gasps> Look at that sweet honey. Ah, oh, Josh T. Well, hey, all the behind the scenes stuff in a trobe and, and whatnot from Office Space. That's what they were doing, right? Y2K stuff. Oh, my God. So cute. Yeah. But uh, thank you. Thank you for the, sm- the smooth transition. <laughs> I'm just looking at this next picture. <laughs> oh, my God. This is from Trace. This is why I want the Easter Bunny photos, people. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, Tracy, pronouns she and her. I'm sending a picture of my son feeling unsure of the Easter Bunny. He'll be 18 this Sunday. Thank you for the good news segments each day. I became a patron because I had to see the pet pictures. As you should. Is that so is great. definitely a skeptical child. Oh, so funny. So funny. Yeah. What? what? Okay. All right. Next up from Amber Pronouns, she and her. Hello, Beans Queens. I have a maker's submission. My husband and I enjoy painting as a sporadic hobby. This year, to celebrate our 18th wedding anniversary, he took a day off work and we painted together. My floofy good boy Maverick was an inspiration. I think I'd really enjoy painting pets for commission, and I'm mulling over that idea. Attached are pictures of my floof and the painting. Thanks for all you do. I look forward to your podcast every morning and appreciate the Beans team so very much. (gasps) Beautiful animal. And look at that awesome painting. Oh, oh, that is so cool. It is really cool. I love that. That floofer. Right? Oh, my goodness. That's a... That's a groomer's dream right there. Indeed. All right. So beautiful. Here we go. This is from Dave. Pronounce he and him. MSW, DB have been fucking essential to me for years now. Fucking re- essential. Fucking essential. And I rely on them. I rely on you to be more informed. For pod pet tax, I offer Ali the Sheba, who also goes by many nicknames in our house. AG will probably appreciate that her nickname at one point was Ali Shebe. <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> And now my kids have created an Instagram account for Ali the Sheba at Ali the Sheba. A-L-L-I-E, the Sheba. Look at the doge. Mm, so, pondering so life. Oh my God. Sorry, I, you got the last one, but I just scrolled to the pictures. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these are great. From Jenny L, pronoun she and her. Hi, A-G-D-G-A-C and the rest. Thank you for being an excellent start to my day every day. You keep me informed while ending the show with uplifting good news. Bowie, my Tennessee walking horse, wants to wish everyone a happy St. Patrick's Day. He says, kiss me, I'm Irish. 
I've been teaching him how to smile for treats so I can keep an eye on his incisors. He has an inflammatory disease called EOTRH that attacks his front teeth. There's no cure or treatment aside from pulling teeth when they get too loose or break. Aw. He's only lost two lower incisors so far. We try to stay positive. He's incredibly stoic about the pain. He still grazes and stuffs his face. We also have been participating in a virtual Braille challenge. We actually got first place in our class for the January course. It has definitely helped us grow a stronger relationship. It also gives me an excuse to dress up. The theme was winter festival, so I had to make Bowie a winter hat and scarf. Thank you for being so awesome. Look at Bowie's face. Look at that second picture. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. That's that's what I was laughing at. Look at, I love this. Horses are so incredible, but when you do get their pictures from like the front when they're looking like this, there's so much personality. Look at that baby. Tennessee walking horse with the fuzzy face. Oh my got a God. little beard going. So beard. sweet. So do I, AG. Don't point it out. <laughs> okay. Just kidding, everyone. Well, sort of not. <laughs> well, thank you for all of these submissions, everyone. We really appreciate it. If you have anything you want to send our way, you can do it at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. Hey, Dana. Yes. Do you have any final thoughts today? No, just a happy St. Patrick's Day to everyone. I hope you enjoy some corned beef and cabbage or something, I don't know, some Irish whiskey, uh, a nice beverage. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. Just kiss, I don't know, kiss someone who's Irish. Yeah. And don't pinch people without Ask first, by the way, please. Yep. About the kissing and the pinching. (laughs) (laughs) I have a shirt somewhere. It's got a, it's a green shirt. It's got a shamrock on it. It says, don't fucking touch me. (laughs) That's fantastic. So, yeah, and it reminds me of the the urban Moe's. Moe's. We have this great uh, bar out here called Moe's. I love Moe's. And uh, all of the staff wear shirts. It's like six feet away, girl. Nice. <laughs> it's just so fucking great. I love that place. All right, everybody, we will be back tomorrow. Amy Carrera will be joining us for the good news. So if you have any cases that you want settled in Amy's court, send them in. And then she's going to be on hiatus doing all sorts of famous movie star acting stuff for a long time. So you want to get your Amy fix in tomorrow. Do it. Yeah, you have to. But until until we do talk to Amy tomorrow, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet and take care of your mental health. And vote Blue Over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants, and the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>